This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango in the studio with Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN and Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. Gentlemen, gentlemen, as we sit here on this Monday... Uh, we have got a, a Super Bowl matchup set. We have got a hockey team that's won five games in a row. I mean, if you really want to expand the, the the good sports feelings in St. Louis, you're, you know, probably, what, two, two and a half, three yep. weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Taylor Swift gets to go to Vegas. Taylor, which is so great because we were so very much worried on whether worried. or not she'd get there. I was worried. So it's it's pretty good to be a sports fan but these do you days. Think, so she's going to fly from her concert in Tokyo to Vegas for the Super Bowl. Do you think she's like Southwest flight, middle seat? <laughs> no, I think she's Taylor Swift private jet flying. Over the United States to get to Vegas for that Super Bowl game. I I uh, I tell you what, the last couple of years, I don't even really remember. Not really, I guess last year, but there had been some matchups in the Super Bowl in the last handful of years that I really just did not care about. Like, I just didn't care about. But I feel like this game is going to be a good game. I feel like it's not going to be one of those things that by halftime we're disinterested in the game because we already see the commercials ahead of time. You know what I'm saying? So there's not really a ton of surprise. Yeah, Yeah, so it is uh, Chiefs and Lions, right? The Lions kicked the field goals. They won the the game. The Lions actually went for it in those certain situations or their receivers caught the ball in those certain situations. I really wanted an Eminem versus Taylor Swift Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I love the picture still to this day, and it feels very much me uh, yesterday as uh, Eminem is giving the double birds yes. to the 49ers fans. I was like, you know what? That's my kind of fan right there, Don, man. Donnie's feeling good. A little Eminem on the drive home later on today. I, I just don't... Um, you know, man, there just gets to be certain situations as a sports fan where you feel like you need to puff up a little bit, and I feel like that would have been that would have been it, you know, yesterday or whatever. You, you know, I was writing my blue story yesterday, and uh, there was obviously tons of tweets about the decision not to kick the field goals and everything. The one I was waiting for, who who was the Tampa Bay Rays manager that pulled? Oh, Snow Kevin out? Cash. Yeah, Cash. Like I wish he would have tweeted, like, "You gotta kick the field goals. You <laughs> can't go for you, it there. You can't follow the analytics. You gotta make the right decision." Dude, I, I was trying to forget about my. My, my little hang up with baseball right now and then you brought that up and then that makes me think about just just some of the asinine stuff in baseball right now that I just do not love including that particular thing I'm telling you what if I'm ever throwing a no hitter at anything at, at, at any any no, walk Donnie. It, don't pull the, me for the, the love of the analytics said get him out of there and you gotta follow analytics. I guess so. They're the smart people these days. And it's not like I want to poo-poo on analytics. They have their place. But for the love of Jesus, man, let the guy go as long as he can and try to get the no-no. What are we even doing here anymore? Man, it's not even February, and Donnie is pissed off at baseball. <laughs> oh, dude. I, I I just wish I had a better. I have to. You know what? When I go to my therapist the next time, out of all my life events, I gotta sit down and go. Hey, listen, I've got this really negative opinion of the Cardinals. And I really can't shake it. And I don't feel like it's their fault. I feel like it's my fault at this point. You know what I mean? Therapist finds a sports psychologist and says, maybe this will help. And also, too, seriously, showing how screwed up I am. This is a team with Nolan Arenado, one of my incredibly most favorite players to watch even before he was here. Getting a chance to watch that guy play third base and hit in the middle of the lineup is really something special. I love Jordan Walker. There are little things that I like, but just as a whole, I used to be counting down to when pitchers and catchers reported. Baseball was my first favorite sport, and I just don't feel the same way. And um, a couple of weeks ago, um, actually over Christmas break, I, st- I rewatched the Ken Burns baseball documentary, mm. which is just freaking so great. And I loved it, but it made me sad. <laughs> it made me sad because that's, even in the last inning of that documentary baseball isn't like that anymore Mm -hmm. and now they're tweaking the rules every friggin year and like i just it's just at a weird spot but i do think that it's it's maybe my attitude more so than it is the sport all sports kind of are in weird spots right now i think it's i think it's still weird every once in a while seeing those shootouts in hockey like it it, just to to end a hockey game i do think now don't get me wrong it's fun it's exciting but it does seem so odd to be doing a portion of the game that dictates the outcome of the regular season but then when you get to postseason be like no nah, that win didn't count that win didn't count you right, know right right <laughs> 
See, and then when they do the standings, you need uh, regulation yeah. wins to qualify, but not shootout wins. Yeah, and- first it was regulation and overtime wins, then it was regulation wins, and now it's like, yeah, shootouts don't matter. Like, let's go back to the ties at this point. Yeah, but Donnie, you said something earlier that uh, got me thinking. We got to do some role play with Donnie here. You said you go see your psychiatrist. Uh, so I was let's. Whoa. I want to. I, wanna, <laughs> yeah, I didn't bring not, my wig this time. That role play. <laughs> so so let's say the Blues have lost four in a row, which we're going to get to them winning five in a row here shortly. Yeah. Yep. But let's say I want to hear what it's like to be you're on the couch next to us you know they've lost four in a row the power plays over its last 15 and your psychiatrist says to you all right donnie tell me what's yeah. going on with you donnie, you this, seem what's, upset what's well, this sound like well my well well it would be um it, it would be very sly it, she would she would look at me and she would go <clears throat> if you're not getting enjoyment out of this <laughs> Maybe it's not something in which that you should spend your time with. You know? Like like she she I a lot of times she tells me that I already know the answers. I just need to like say them out loud and she like kind of reinforce she's Do you always walk amazing. out of there too like son of a that was really good? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Because like she has this like sort of matter of fact way about her um that is just I I, I don't know man like it, it just helps me see in the mirror a lot better or whatever but yeah i think she would tell me like hey if this is not fun then maybe we shouldn't have it as a fun activity and donnie says you know what she's probably right i need to turn this off and the next day turns the blues game son of a (laughs) yeah let me tell you something i'm not quitting i'm not quitting sports i mean there's just i mean it's yeah when she says you gotta quit sports you know yeah but i do have a question you said she a couple different times let me ask you is your psychiatrist your wife uh, no, 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 no! But Mary is also my therapist, and should and should and should absolutely get paid for that. Absolutely, should absolutely get paid for that, man. Because there are some times where I just like I, I'll tell you this. So I went on this rant at the house the other day. We were talking about shows this summer that we wanted to go to, and I started getting really upset that. <laughs> that the Creed show was selling so well, like, <laughs> like I think it's it's it actually might be sold out. Is this, at this my point. opportunity to tell right. them I have tickets to go yeah. see Creed? <laughs> That's a shame, Alex. But I, I I just remember like going on this like thing, and I'm starting to get hot about it, and I just like don't we remember when this band sucked and we made fun of them all the time, and it was just terrible, and Scott Stapp and blah blah blah, and she was like, honey, you know. It's just not that big of a deal. She's like, are you going to go to the show? And I was like, no, I'm not going to go to the show. She's like, then why do you care? Okay, honey, good point. Uh, you're, you're, I, I remember, though, the first time that I heard my own prison, I can vividly recall being in the office of the Coal Street building and going, what crappy local band is this? <laughs> that is... A hundred percent. I have never been. That was one of the first times that I was really surprised when a song became so big. It was my own prison, and then right after that was Days of the New, Touch, Peel, and Stand. And I thought, eh, this is just like another one of our local bands. Make good. Ba 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 ba. This won't do anything. Why is it crapping on local Huge. bands? <laughs> well, because you you know before a band gets to be a national band, they got to start somewhere, and it's locally, and sometimes it ain't great. You know what I mean? And uh, oh, also too, here's another reason I hate Creed, just so to let you know. Not only is it because they are musically just absolute garbage, just <laughs> garbage, but I got screamed at by their tour manager at the Galaxy. Oh, now we're getting okay. to the reason. That makes sense. Now we're so, getting to the uh, no, 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 Well, no. It was the, I hated them a lot first. And then this is and the And then I had to top. go out on a Tuesday night to the Galaxy on Washington when Creed was playing a very sold-out show. So I'm going there. I don't want to be there in the first place. And their tour manager gets in my face and starts cussing at me that if I cuss on stage, he's going to throw me out of the back door and that we'll never do anything with the band again. So don't effing do that and don't effing. So, like, by the time that I got done, I went on the stage and went, eh, Creed's coming up in a minute. Have a great night, everybody. And then just walked out the back door. I was like, I'm not staying for a friggin' minute of this friggin' nonsense. I probably would have dropped an F-bomb just to see if the guy could throw me out the door. Dude, could he throw you? Uh, first of all, at that time, that was probably like 1999, so I'm probably a buck 35 oh, okay. soaking wet. So absolutely he could have thrown 35. me out of there. I remember kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> But I, but but yes. So anyway, so yes, Mary does play the in-house therapist I keep role. Saying psychiatrist, it's therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. I got one of those too. But but I do more of the the talking out the stuff with the therapist. I just check in with the with the shrink every once in a while to keep make sure that my meds are good and, and that. All sort right. Of thing. Well, thanks yeah. for listening to the Cream well, Super gl- Fan <laughs> Podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I wore my athletic jacket to cover up my Scott Step tattoo over here. <laughs> I always wonder too, like. 
Because, like, part of me wonders, like, do people really want to know that I play bands that I can't stand? Or do they just want... You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're in a different time where back in the day, obviously, you don't really knock on any of the artists that you play. But, like, now, I feel like, realistically, people have to know that I don't love every band that I play. Uh, Yeah, because there's people listening that probably turn off the radio when a band comes on that they don't like, too, right? Because there's everything available to them. A hundred percent. Podcasts, you get the music on your phone. So, like, if there's something that's played that they don't like, like, I think it's better... And this is just me speaking. It's better. I've never been a DJ to connect with that DJ if they don't like the band that you don't like. Yeah. Right. Well, I I was doing something for a while when I played Bon Jovi on the Arch, where I might say something you know kind of disparaging <laughs> about John Bon Jovi, but then I see a picture of Homeboy working in a friggin' food kitchen washing dishes, yeah. and I'm like. Oh, wow. So cool that I'm the a-hole. So, you know what? Living on a prayer might not be my jam, but it looks like John Bon Jovi is a real good friggin' human being, so maybe I can just shut my mouth. So, like, ever since then, I've been real kind of, eh. Unless it's Creed. I didn't know that Bon Jovi thing was a thing. You know, like, hate Bon Jovi. And I think I'm trading text with you and one time with Favaz, too, and he was calling him trash. And I'm like, holy smokes. Favaz Favaz is deep. But I think that if I had to play him as much as Favaz has had to play him over That's the years, a good point. that that would absolutely do yeah. that for me. Yeah, you're talking about playing bands that you might not like. I want to hear, Alex, what's your list of um, blues players that you have to cover who you don't like? Oh, <laughs> oh. Oh, <laughs> Uh, talk to me in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's really tough, though, man, because I, I I'll know- say this. Covering the Blues locker room compared to the Cardinals locker room, yeah. it's a very short list. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Boy, blues, the Blues guys are very easy to be around. Yeah. Hey, and speaking of which, he, he said that he's never been a DJ. I want to hear Alex like send it to a song here. And Coming up have- next, the best version of Life is a Highway, Rascal Flats. How do you do, Donnie? Donnie? Not great. Nailed it? <laughs> Not, for, for, one, he, for, for one, that's misinformation. That's fake news. <laughs> Is what is what that whole thing is right there, but no, you got to get a little more pizzazz. And then after that, my sacrifice by Creed. Yeah, see, that was real flat. I you know, that's that's, that's not. And and I know you got it in you because I hear you, you hear in the pre and post game. Yeah, how how do you yeah. do it, Donnie? Let's hear it. Well, if it would be uh, all right, let's see. <clears throat> Uh, 84 and a half minutes of commercial free music on 106.5 The Arch. This is Rascal Flats and their mistake of a cover of Tom Cochran's Hi- Life is a Highway. Get you home commercial free on 106.5 The Arch. There you that was, go. It was actually it. really good. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done this before, Donnie? <laughs> okay, now, Donnie, bring it back from pre and post for the blues. Ooh, yeah. Nah, man. <laughs> no, 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 you got it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let me see. All right, all right. No, 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 okay, no. Wait, 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 Donnie. Let me set it up. Uh... There's going to be 10 seconds left to go in the game. Kerber's going to send it to you to do the post game here. And the Blues win it 4-3 to three in Bring overtime. Bring out the Zambonis. Bring out the Zamboni. Donnie, it's you for the post game. Well, we're back on 101 ESPN. Blues win their fifth in a row, and we're going to throw it back to Kerbs and Joey in just a couple of minutes and find out some of the particulars on our Blues win tonight. Blues win 5-4. to four. More of the post game coming next on 101 Look ESPN. At this guy. Okay. Donnie, don't yeah. you ever do that again. <laughs> I got two kids at home that need food and diapers. And don't you ever, ever do that again into that microphone. Guys, you know what though, man? Like like That's but, awesome. but but in seriousness, I like I like kind of keeping a little bit of space of that space that you guys get with the team. I'm okay to not have that. Yeah. Because man, when you when I have had rough interactions with musicians. I hate it. Takes it away. It really takes it away. And I just don't want that no. with sports. Like, and maybe one day it gets there, whatever. But, like, right now, I just like having that kind of wall. I'll there. tell you what's weird. And I'm sure you have this more than I do because you've covered it a lot longer. But I, when I was growing up, like getting into sports, I was Donnie. Like, I was diehard fan. When the Blues would lose, I would cry. I was Die hard. But like the longer you work around the broadcast booth and you're around the players, like a little piece of that fandom dies yeah. in you. And it's not a bad thing. It's just like you 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 cover the team and so you know the ins and outs of it. You know the nuances. So that passion that you get for a great win or an ugly loss, it's like, my well, you know, they had to travel or well, you know, you know what, they're in a bad spot right now. Like I've been to games with my wife or with my dad since I've been doing this and I've 2013, I think I started doing pre and post. There is nothing more 
humiliating than the Blues scoring a goal and my dad jumping up to celebrate, and he looks down, and I'm just sitting in the seat still. <laughs> He's like, why aren't you cheering? I'm like, oh, yeah, they scored. And you just stand up. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. But then, like, in playoffs in the press box, if they score an overtime goal, like that goal that they scored against the Colorado Avalanche on the road, Robert Thomas went end-to-end to send it to the next game, I freaking lost my mind in that studio. Like, if they had cameras in there, <laughs> I was throwing stuff I was so excited. It's just weird weird how that dynamic changes. It's totally true, and I don't know if it develops over time or if you cut the cord right away. You know, Obviously, I had to 25-plus years ago. and Look, I fully admit I was a Blues fan growing up and had posters all over my walls and went to Brentwood and watched him practice and got autographs afterwards. I remember Murray Barron. He came out, and he had a parking ticket on his Mitsubishi 3000. That's how far we're going back here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And he, he just took it. I'll never forget this, however old I was, 20 years old, I'd say. He, he, he takes the ticket off his uh, Mitsubishi, crumbles it up like a piece of paper. <laughs> And like threw it on the ground, like that's 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 what he had been saying. Murray Baron doesn't take any of that trash, <laughs> but, but it, it's true. You just develop this, uh, you know, thing where you're you're not a fan anymore because you have to be objective, yeah. and you're in the media. I remember when I was lucky enough to start going to Blues games when I was 19 years old and be like the uh, Cub reporter, uh, shagging quotes for Dave Luking, Tom Wheatley, Jeff Gordon, the Blues writers at the time. And I sat next to Dave Luking one time, and I know that Essa Tikkanen was involved in the goal, but I can't remember who scored it. But I'm in the press box. I'm sitting next to all the professional post-dispatch writers and the Blues score, and I jump up mm. and start, woo, like this. And Dave Luking goes, you might want to sit down. <laughs> and so, so ever since then, you've just learned. And I don't think it's hard after a while. Yeah. It's just, I mean, Pat Maroon scores double OT against uh, Dallas, and you don't even flinch. Oh, yeah. that There's video proof of me celebrating that. <laughs> in a broadcast booth where Joe Vitale has got his play cowboy guns and he's shooting them in the broadcast booth. So there's video footage of us celebrating that one. It's nice. So sometimes, though, when I go to a show, when I go to a concert, I know I'm a drag because, like, I know after three songs, that's when I just know kind of how shows go and have been to so many that sometimes I don't think I'm very fun to, to go to these shows with. So um, it's just, you know, but again, very lucky to, to have yeah. been in this position to be able to do this and, you know, to have these kinds of things to talk about but um i had a chance yesterday um to uh, go to the blues game my oldest son and i have not had a chance to hang out since before christmas so um we got really great seats and went and watched the team and and you know in the first period it kind of seemed like the team was finding its way a little bit but once they did man they friggin got another w (laughs) Five friggin' wins in a row. Two weeks ago, I'm writing these guys off as saying, well, let's get a draft pick. And now I'm like, let's go playoffs. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> so, you know, man, I don't – and I heard Curbs this morning with the with the morning show on 101. And listen, man, I know that these aren't necessarily super pretty. I know that there are times with some of these games where we can go, maybe they shouldn't have won them, Okay. But they have. And now that's freaking five in a row with a terrible Columbus team coming tomorrow night. So let's make it six. Why the hell not? Yeah. Why don't we just do this damn thing, guys? I, I mean, so I they started that road trip and they were five points out of a wild card spot. And now you're sitting currently in one of those wild card spots. In four games, you made that significant of a jump. You jumped over like four teams, put yourself in a wild card spot. The Calgary Flames game. The Vancouver Canucks game, watching it and then doing post game, maybe I had a little bit of a negative tone to it because you watch it and you say, they didn't have any business winning these hockey games. Like if you just look at the, the stats and take the names out of it, you'd look at Vancouver and say, well, that team should have won. But they did. And then that Seattle game happened, and that Seattle one for me was like, okay, this one's going to be very difficult, and you found a way to push through. They looked better in that one. Then the L.A. Kings one. That L.A. Kings one, that sucks. I mean, they stayed in Seattle the next day and then flew out. So you're talking about not only dealing with the three-hour time change, but you're dealing with the jet lag. And I know people hear this and say, they're professional hockey players. That's just excuses. No, man. Like, I, I get it. That's exhausting. And then you had to go out there and play that game. You were feeling your way through. Two months ago, they couldn't win without their A game. The only way they were winning was when they were perfect from puck drop to the end of the hockey game. Yep. And we were saying, well, you got to figure out how to win with B and C games because if you don't, you're never going to do anything. Now you're winning with your B and C games, and we know that they have those A games in them. So to me, that's a really good dynamic. You still prove that you're a very good team in tight hockey games. If you could just get to the all-star break by winning six consecutive games with your B and C game against some pretty good teams, 
you get two weeks to figure out how to refine your A game mm-hmm. and then carry that the rest of the season. That's a good spot to be in. Yeah, and I kind of learned this uh, years ago as a reporter and you're covering the team on a regular basis and and you um you know you don't want to get caught up too high in the in the right and the, the winds you don't want to ride the down. roller coaster yeah you can't ride the roller coaster alex and i have talked about that before but here's the thing here's the one thing you can't do as a reporter you can't criticize them when they lose and point out how bad things are and how awful you know they're playing and then they win some games and then you say well you know they're playing bad but somehow they're winning and it's analytics show that they're going to come back down to earth and this is not real like you can do that i suppose if you want to have that thirty-five thousand and say hey is this a a serious playoff team you know i guess not because look even though they're winning some games here it's kind of smoke and mirrors a little bit but i'm not going to be that guy i'm not going to write 10 articles ripping them and then they win five and especially in the fashion that they're winning them and another thing i believe that playing like this can be contagious and the players the past couple nights have said so. Yeah, you're feeding off of mm-hmm. each one of these finishes. And then guess what? Maybe it builds some self-confidence, some team confidence, and you do start playing the right way when they come back from the All-Star break. Maybe you have longer stretches of good hockey, and then it leads to building a foundation, and nobody's going to remember that you snuck out a few of them early on in this in this streak. So are they going to just push ahead and, and close the gap between third place and, and be in the top three in the Central Division? Probably not. But they're playing, like you said, BC hockey right now, and they're winning games. Well, and, and real quick, Donnie, the other part with that too is like you're picking up points, which is the most critical piece of all of this. But look at the way they're winning: four three overtime. You know, four three overtime. You're four, coming three back overtime. Yeah, three four, straight three actually. Overtime. <laughs> yeah, well, you got a loop here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just keep playing it because that's what it seems to be. But you're winning those one goal games, and last year. They couldn't do that. Like last year, the team couldn't figure out how to win tight hockey games. And Joe and I were talking about it on pregame last night because, you know, the Blues are in the second longest winning streak right now in the National Hockey League behind Edmonton. And Edmonton's on a 16-game bender right now. And Joey was a part of that Pittsburgh Penguins team that won. I thought it was 15 in a row. So Edmonton just surpassed them. And Joey said, like, when teams are in a win streak, it's not a cockiness, but you come to the rink expecting to win. Yeah. He said it's just a feel of confidence. And then Braden Shen told Curbs and Joey yesterday on post game, we just know we're finding ways to win right now. We know we're going to be in a hockey game until the end of the game. And right now, what was the one reason that Craig Berube was let go? Because players weren't responding, but also they lacked confidence. They didn't feel like they had a chance to win once yes. they got down and they checked out a game. They lacked confidence. And now, if you want to call it Drew Bannister, fine. Uh, Steve Ott said yesterday that you know this is a lot of the leaderships. Pareko, Thomas, Falk, Bennington. These guys are taking that locker room over right now. But... Now you've got a group that feels every time they're in a hockey game, the other team scores a goal. I think they've done it like four in their last seven. The opponent has scored first. Blues tie it up. Yeah. How many times have they come back in games in this four-game stretch? Yeah, we did in press row last night. Six times they've come back in a deficit in this five-game winning yeah. streak. So, so, I mean, this team, you, you can be down on them if you want because the analytics show that even strength, they're not a good team. Doesn't matter. They're getting the bounces and finding ways to win because they're a confident group. Well, and, and real quick, it might matter in two weeks. You might look back and say whatever, but you can't do it right now. Right. right. Well, you know, man, I mean, you got you have to enjoy the moments however they're 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 coming about you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and and the thing the thing that i like is that there's growth all right and it's not perfect and it doesn't always have to be linear or whatever but like but there is growth there are games i feel like in these last 5 that a couple of months ago the blues would absolutely have been out of I would have already been checking on office reruns in the middle of the second period. You know, but that is not happening with this team. There is a drive, there is a a desire. The here's my slight bit of frustration. I was thinking of this coming in. What if this team decided, "Hey, we want to play like this all the time." You know what I mean? Because it's clear that it's in them. Like so, in all games? Like, like the right, whole right. You mean from puck drop till the end of the game. I, I, It just makes you wonder, like, these guys could, again, maybe not win a Stanley Cup, but they could be a freaking nightmare mm-hmm. in the second half of the year because they do have that. They do have a little bit of that grimy in their game. They do have some of those guys that can do that. And the thing that just hurts me just a touch is that I feel like we could be seeing more consistent play 
out of this team. Um, but I guess when you won five in a row, maybe I should shut up with that and we'll <laughs> pick that up at another time. But you know what I'm saying? I feel like this team has it in them to even still be a little bit better and a little bit more consistent. Yeah, when they want to, and that's the biggest thing. And and so and look, I guess you know, even though we're giving them a ton of credit for the way they're playing right now, and we're trying to push that analytical view off to the side. I mean, if, if the other team scores in one of these overtimes, you know, maybe we're talking about they've won yeah. three out of their last five or, or whatever. So it can bounce both ways. But like Alex just said, you know, Braden Shen in the locker room last night, he's like, we just feel that belief. We feel like we can do it. And we as media, as fans, I don't think should argue with that because that's the thing that we criticize all the time. So let's not – Give them crap. Can we say crap? Yeah. Can we kill us? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, dude. Just settle JR. down, JR. Come on. My mother's listening. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let, let's, hi, Mom. Uh, hi, Mom. Uh, we, we can't feed it to them yeah. every corner, right? Like, yeah. You can't. You just well, can't. And the other thing, and I know people are going to hate to hear this right now, so get ready to throw something at your phone or, or smash it, but this is the, the youth side of it. And I don't mean young in terms of age. I mean young in terms of experience. Like, Yes, it is inconsistent, and yes, guys are playing hard in one period and not playing the other. Like, for me, that Calgary game, the part that I got frustrated with was like, man, what does it say that your coach has to chew you out in between periods so that you actually show yeah. up? But they showed up after he chewed them out. Yeah. But if you look at look at the growth that Robert Thomas did from last year to this year. I mean, we all can agree he's been one of the best players this season. Last year, we were talking about, do the Blues have a number one center? Or do they, we talked they should bring back Ryan O'Reilly because we weren't sure if Robert Thomas was ready for it. Well, in one season, he went from a player that we weren't sure about to being the best centerman on the team. Now, let's do that with the Jordan Cairo and the Pavel Buchnevich and the Jake Neighbors, like those guys and Alexi Toropchenko, to where maybe it's inconsistent in games, and yeah, they're 24 years old, and yeah, they've been in the league for three years, but one season they get a taste of, hey, this is what it looks like when you play well, and this is what it looks like when you don't play well, and let's go down the hypothetical path, you don't make the playoffs. Those players now figure out, like, Yo, you know what? If I play my if the if I play this way for an entire game for three fourths of the season, we're a playoff team. Yeah. And then you go into the offseason training that way. That is a much different feel for a group of players, I would imagine, than getting into the playoffs, winning one round when you played half of the season and saying, Well, that was good. Let's just keep going. Doesn't it feel like not only has have we seen Robert Thomas grow on the ice, but also I feel like just over the course of of the season so far and how he's dealing with the media, he seems to be feeling like he's getting a little bit more comfortable in in, in that realm of things. And, JR, you could speak to that a little bit more specifically. But also, too, he's looking like he's starting to freaking hate to lose. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. He's starting to get that sneer when they lose where you're just like, ooh, I bet you. That that's he a dangerous is not, player. That's what I'm saying. And I feel like, good Lord, baby Jesus, yeah. if we could ever get Jordan Cairo to have have that sort of, uh, ooh, <laughs> yeah. we might very much have something yep. between these two. You know why that is, Donnie? Uh, because this is the first time that he's ever lost. Yeah. You look at uh, you look at Robert Thomas. He won uh, the Memorial Cup. Mm -hmm. Then he won Stanley wait, Cup, uh, World Junior. Oh yeah, World Juniors. That's right, gold medal at World Juniors. And then the uh, Stanley Cup. And yep. so now you get to a situation where you lose for the first time. But no, you nailed it. You're absolutely right. Like you know, I felt like. Robert Thomas was the guy probably after Braden Chen that could have been the captain, and we all talked about that leading into the decision. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like he just wasn't quite ready, and I think you know, a lot of times you want to give those younger guys a chance to just focus on their game. Mm -hmm. And he did that last offseason. Obviously, he's taken it to another level, and I think that confidence in the way he's playing and now that he's figured it out a bit, and, and now that he's that guy, right? So he's been second fiddle to Ryan O'Reilly here for several years. Now he's got – the confidence he's playing well and now he can use that leadership i mean you can be a guy who's supposed to be pretty good but if you are that guy now you what you say carries some weight so i think you're dead right jr do you and on your side of things and maybe this is just me making it up do you feel like thomas is more comfortable in his role i mean because he you know he's getting guest spots on the morning show here you know he's definitely one that the blues media relations people are putting out there to talk to you do last you two season he's gone to vegas yeah. for the media day too before the season do you feel like he's a bit more comfortable in that role he seems less stiff in interviews that's the reason that i asked no it's a great observation and sometimes you know i rely on 
people like yourself or family members, friends, they watch that stuff. Um, and, and like, we're so right there in the middle, we're asking the questions. Yeah. So we kind of, but you know, people who watch the interviews and, and they see that. And I agree with you, you know, now that you say that, and I'm thinking about it for a minute that uh, I, I do think he looks more comfortable. He feels more comfortable and it would only you know, be logical because he's becoming that guy. And, and, and so, you know, I, I like I said a second ago, I just felt like Robert Thomas wasn't quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And I think it was it would have been a lot to put on him to wear the captain. And, and Braden Chen does a phenomenal job with yeah. all that stuff. So let Robert Thomas grow into that role. And that's exactly what we're watching right I now. I think right now you've got a you've got more guys than people would believe in that locker room that hate that get pissed off when they lose. I think Thomas is that guy. I think Jake Neighbors is that guy. And this is only his like first full season, and this is Jake Neighbors. Uh, I think Torpchenko is that guy. I think he cl- clarified that for us last year by calling out his <laughs> right. entire team. Um, uh, Jordan Bennington, to me, absolutely is yeah. that guy. Oh, my gosh. He might be number yeah. one. <laughs> He's number one, two, and three. And honestly, I could see a little Joel Hofer in that, too. So yeah. like, I, I think you've got those guys in there. And sometimes that's all you need in a locker room to get, your he- to get out of water is to have those guys that hate losing. I think Jimmy Snuggerud is going to be that guy from what we've seen in college and world juniors. So you've, you're starting to get that nucleus of guys that the Blues had in 2019 that like when you would lose, boy, they would get pissed oh off. Like goodness. Steen would freaking hate losing. Like there would be an attitude change from when they were winning and losing in that locker room. So I, I think that's a really good thing to have for the Blues that you've got a nucleus that's beginning with a Robert Thomas at the helm and then a Jake Neighbors and some of these other guys. All right. So I would say, um, I mean, it's tough at this point. I think if, if you're looking for an MVP of the season, I think you could talk Robert Thomas. I think you could talk Colton Pareko. And I definitely think that Jordan Bennington, he would be my oh, MVP. All right. But we've got Joel Holfer, who played yesterday, has been a backup, has put up some pretty solid backup numbers. I'm interested to know from you guys what you have thought about Joel Holfer's first season as the number one backup to Bennington. How do you project Joel Holfer going forward you you know what i'm saying like like is he a number one eventually do you see is he, what are the kind of things that you see from joel holford that you've have seen so far well first of all team mvp uh, we just did that at the athletic a day or two ago and if you did not go with robert thomas first and then mention that jordan bennington is in the conversation uh, trash you're, take jr you're wrong because that's <laughs> no i'm getting trash that. take jr colton Preco's in there too you know what they they don't want us to ride the fence but i tried to sneak bennington in there too because he actually bennington probably is the MVP. But I went with Thomas because, you know, he's projected 90 points. Bennington has been phenomenal. He has stolen them games. He is the reason why they are where they are. So let's go. Hold on. I need to click that off of my bookmark. (laughs) Athletic pieces so I don't read it. I'm not going to read that one. How do you fit Franco in there, too? Because he's deserving as well. So it's tough. But anyway, I don't mean to get off your hole for a question. I think from what I see, Alex, whatever you think here, I think he's going to be a good one. And I think that what you're seeing right now is a guy who's learning the ropes. And that goes without saying, you know, first full season, yada, yada, yada. But he loses three a few weeks ago, and he tries to figure out what's going on. And he has some talks with some guys like Scotty Pernovich, his buddy. Hey, you need to relax a little more. He relaxes, and then he looks like a great goaltender. <laughs> and, and and here lately, I mean, these monster saves, I mean – that one in overtime the other night, even though he then said, yeah. here, take a shootout center off me <laughs> yeah. right after it, flipped him the puck. <laughs> but uh, I just feel like I always try to look at it like this. In three years, you're going to watch Joel Hofer, and he's going to be, I think, a good goaltender. You're like, man, you could see it when he was coming up. And, and who knows what's going to be the situation with Jordan Bennington at that point, but it's a perfect situation for success for Joel Hofer right now. All right, so uh, first and foremost, we don't know if Scott Perunovich is hurt. He left the game last night, uh, lower body injury, Mm -hmm. and we don't know where that's standing. We don't know how bad that is. Okay, one thing that I was thinking yesterday, and I completely understand that what I'm about to say, I am about the 6,000th person to say this, all right? So it's not a unique thought. But as I'm watching the game yesterday, and I'm watching Tori Krug and Scott Perunovich, I'm thinking to myself, I just feel like that is that is two of the same guy. Mm-hmm. It just does not seem to me that that combo is going to need to be here going forward. It just seems like Perunovic does what Krug does. What what does Krug do that Perunovic does not do? That I, would be the better question. I think it's a, it's a good question because I think what Krug is 
shown this season is is what we were told he had, and I think we saw a little bit of it in that first season, is that he plays a feisty brand of hockey. Now, I, I understand your rebuttal to that listening is probably, yeah, but he, there's a lot of goals that get scored when he's on the ice. Fine, but uh, him and Matt Castle have created a pretty good and reliable pair, especially when you're playing them 23 minutes a night. But, man, Tory Krug literally takes zero shifts off. Like, he is very physical in front of his own net. He's not afraid to throw uh, an extra whack at a player. And sometimes I think that pissed-off attitude is very good to have for a yeah. team. I don't know if you have a lot of those defensemen on the roster, although Colton Pareko seems to have a little bit of anger these last couple of games, which <laughs> is nice to see. Uh, but but Perunovic definitely doesn't do that. Yeah. And I also, also think what Tory Krug's not afraid to do is shoot the puck, and Scott Perunovic delegates to passing first, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, we uh, what's he got? Like six assists in his last eight games or something like that? Yeah, 10 and 14. So, like, you're not afraid to pass which is a good thing if you're you're getting those assists but I think that's definitely the difference maker right now the problem to me isn't Tori Krug and Scott Perunovic it's also you have Nick Letty and Nick Letty's been playing awesome mm-hmm. which is not a bad like Nick Letty's been playing like a top pair defenseman with Colton Pareko at least in this last stretch but what I mean by you have him is you've got three guys under six foot and I do still think yeah. size is very important in the National Hockey League especially on the back end when you get to the postseason so it's I think it's good to have three separate guys that do different things. But, man, like sometimes you want a lot more Marco Scandellas than you want Tory Krug's or Nick Letty's just because of that size. I think sometimes I go sideways on Tory Krug because he looks like this guy in high school that picked on me all the time, and I'm not even lying. And so when I see him, I'm like, oh, dude. Oh, like this, guy. <laughs> this guy. This <laughs> guy. But I think I'm probably underselling Tory Krug uh, in in that comparison because obviously you know Perunovic the physicality of it and this team needs a little bit more salt not mm, yeah. not less salt yeah M- especially in front of your own net especially when guys are last year earlier this season guys were taking extra whacks at your goaltender or you know taking extra whacks at guys like. You need that guy every once in a while to throw an extra cross check. All right, so this set, all right, so five-game winning streak uh, in a playoff spot. Um, I I think that a lot of us are surprised that we're in this spot going to the All-Star game. Uh, You had a coaching change uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, Guys, at this point, the more the Blues put together Ws, the more I'm thinking to myself, there's no reason to move on from Drew Bannister. There's no reason. But I believe that Doug Armstrong is still out there looking. He doesn't seem to maybe be convinced that Drew Bannister is the guy, or at least he's doing his due diligence. So how do you guys see this working with Drew Bannister? What does he have to do to get this gig? And if you're thinking, eh, maybe he's not the guy, who else do you got? Well, I think Doug's doing his due diligence, and we I think you touched on it last week, Alex. Uh, Elliot Friedman, the great national uh, reporter, yeah. uh, Sportsnet, he reported that uh, the Blues might have had some interest in Patrick Waugh, which led New York uh, to act quickly, yeah. the Islanders, in hiring Patrick Waugh. And so what does that tell us? That tells us that even though things are going pretty well with the Blues and Drew Bannister right now, that, that Doug has to do the work he's got to do. Like, there wasn't a report that they were close with Wah or they're mm-hmm. close with yeah. anybody else. So I think that's a situation where Doug's always doing his work, right? And, and then in the meantime, you just watch the team under Drew and, and see if you like it. And you, you can judge the Ws. That, those are great. But like we talked about earlier, a few overtime wins. you got to like what you're seeing with the progression of the team before you're going to commit to a guy – you know, long term as a coach, you know, two, three years, whatever the contract would be. So I got to believe that we're kind of still in the same boat that we've discussed the past couple weeks and that Drew Bannister has put himself in the best position possible to keep the job. Now, whether he gets it or not, that all depends on this tight circle that Doug Armstrong operates with in terms of who he's talking to. All right. So then guys, who's, so then here's this. All right, and then you guys are much more qualified to discuss this than me, much. But if it is not Drew Bannister, there's just not very many, for lack of a better term, and I'm sorry to use it this way because it feels a little disrespectful, retread coaches mm-hmm. um, that that I would want to give this gig to. I, it just it seems to me that this opportunity is perfect for somebody that's younger that has an ability to talk to younger players and not one of these guys that we have seen yeah that that's done it before but has never you know made it to the finish I just I, I just don't feel like there is a guy that's really in the NHL right now that even if he loses a gig 
would be a really good fit here. Yeah, well, and that's so there are names that come to mind when I think of like, okay, if you're going to go down that path that it's not Drew Bannister, then who? First thing that I do, though, is I, I look at what Doug talked about. He talked about you got to find somebody who can win, but also develop. And that is not an easy thing to accomplish is get a guy who can come in and start winning, but also develop these younger players and get the right message to the players, which is what Bannister's accomplished. So in that sense, as much as people would like the idea of a Joel Quinville, I don't think that matches it because if you're Joel Quinville and you get reinstated, do you really want to go to a team that might not be winning right away? I, I think that also would take out a player like a Rod Brindamore if he becomes available because that's a coach that I would imagine after being in Carolina for that long wants to win. The guy that I thought of immediately when we were talking about this, the first one was Patrick Waugh, but that one's off the table now, was Sheldon Keefe with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Why? Because of his success with offensive-minded players. And what I mean by that is look at William Nylander's number or numbers offensively when he was under Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock, you know, he wants the offense, but he's more of a don't-mess-this-up type of coach. William Nylander was never more than a 20-goal player in three seasons, I believe, when Mike Babcock was there. Sheldon Keefe, who had success in the American Hockey League with the Toronto Maple Leafs, if I'm not mistaken, he was the coach for the Toronto Marlies, he stepped in. And William Nylander took off and was a 30-goal scorer consistently and is what he is right now. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, Sheldon Keefe hasn't won anything. I'd say that's a little bit more roster problems than what that's a, a head coaching sure. problem with no off or no goaltending and no defenseman. Not saying he's better than Drew Bannister, but the first thing I thought of was, what's the first guy everybody points to when they say, well, this guy's got to get the best out of this player? Well, you're Jordan about Ky- Cairo, yeah. So if I'm if I'm looking at it and saying, okay, well, this is a coach that got the best out of another offensive-minded player and turned him into – Nealander's not a, a defensive-minded player, but at least he's not liability on the ice, and he's a 35-plus goal scorer every year. So that was the guy that I was like, you know what? If you go down that path, that would be one that I would – at least consider if I'm Doug. Funny part is Alex said, uh, here's what you guys are thinking, and it wasn't. The thing that I was thinking was, the guy has a job, Keith. So <laughs> Alex is firing Keith yeah. and hiring yeah, here Yeah, but we St. already Lewis. know what's going to happen <laughs> right, when Toronto right. gets bounced in the first round. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why, you know, as, uh, listen, right now, I think it's, you know, I like Drew Bannister's chances. Yeah. Um, but that's why I think that you wait until the offseason if you're going to bring in sure. somebody else because you can talk about the Gerard Glantz. You can talk about the uh, – yeah, I don't even know why I bring up Boost Burjo's name because he just does not yeah, seem – that's not happening. At all for, you know, for sure, like a guy who you would even consider. But my, my thought here is, you know, you got a Keefe in Toronto, right? You got a Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh that's is another one. name. And I know that – Kyle Dubas has come out on a number of occasions and say, hey, look, we like Mike Sullivan, but things aren't going well in Pittsburgh, and they might miss the playoffs, and they might need to go a different direction. This is a guy that's won a couple cups, and if he were available, the way I liken it, it's a situation like Craig Bruby, right? Mm-hmm. The rest of the league might look at him like a retread, or he, you know, he's moving on from the Blues, but in other cities, they're looking at him like a fresh face. Even Toronto, they're saying, how about Baruby in Toronto, right? Well, there's going to be a lot of teams interested in Mike Sullivan, even though it hasn't worked out in Pittsburgh. So if he's the type of guy that becomes available in the offseason, yeah. you know, that could be a reason why if you're Doug Armstrong. Look at how fast off. Bruce Cassidy was hired after he was let go by Big Boston time. in the offseason. And that, look at that's the success. An, yeah, that's another cup, one yeah. with a Mike Sullivan, too. Well, and, and you would see both of those situations – in Sheldon Keefe and in Sullivan and go, okay, well, obviously he's doing the best that he can with rosters that are not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was I was thinking about Pittsburgh the other day. That situation and their they, – they just have not been able to retool mm-hmm. on the fly. And, boy, don't you think that that's going to just have to be oh, yeah. a, a, a bottom-up rebuild? The problem eventually? is how are you rebuilding when you've got Sidney Crosby, kid. Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and Eric Carlson those all are locked like, up. Uh, especially Crosby. That's those are the guys that produce well, yeah, them. Yeah. Malkin's great. Latang's the the older guys are actually awesome for him. The problem is everything else. Some of it's Eric Carlson, but then you're going to lose Jake Gensel because you're not going to be able to afford to keep him. They're going to trade him at the deadline possibly. So you can try and rebuild it, but. The only way you're doing that is if you move guys, but I think all of those guys have no movement clauses too. 
it's just very interesting the timing of this. And the, by the timing, I mean like as far as where the blues are. Yeah. Because since it's in this kind of like middle zone, you know, mm-hmm. not a rebuild, but we're not there. It's just kind of a – because, see, I wonder. All right, so when you talk about Coach Q – it's not as though if he would entertain this job that it's a complete rebuild from from the bottom up. I mean, he is he will have he would have a lot of pieces to work with. Whoever gets this gig, even mm-hmm. Bannister, they got pieces to work with. So I don't feel like he would be that far off from maybe being in that elite. Maybe, but you're also going to have to tell him this is the group you have. But you also have a 21-year-old Jimmy Snuggerud. You also have a 21-year-old Dvorsky, a Stenberg, a Lindstein in the next couple of years that you've got to get them into the NHL level. And also, you know, try to make this comment on the fly here. You know, if you're Craig Berube, you want to win now, right? Yeah. Uh But if you know that Doug Armstrong and or the organization want – this young player to play and this young player to play. If you're Craig Bruby, you want the vets in there, you want the experience, you want this. So how do you how do you how do you work that? Sure. I mean, I can't imagine a conversation where Joel Quinville's like, all right, give me the best of the best that you got. I'm gonna go win with it. You know, I might just be here two, three, four years, whatever. Well, we kinda need to play Got it. We gotta play this guy Kessel. We gotta get yeah. Bull Duke in there at some point, you know, whatever. I'm just naming yeah. names. Yeah. And Quimba's like, no, dude, I'm going to win. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. Well, that makes that makes yeah. a lot of sense too. I didn't I, I didn't necessarily think about that. But I mean, I feel it I, I would just feel as though that this I guess maybe this is just the Homer in me, but I would feel like this would be an attractive job. Yeah. No, I I'd, especially because ownership always spends to the cap. You've got ownership that's willing to provide everything you need to win a Stanley Cup. That's why, first things first, it's an appealing job. You've got a president of hockey operations that has a lot of a track record of success, not just in St. Louis, but with Hockey Canada and the world, everything that he's been a part of. So, like, it would be an appealing job. You've got, to me, you've got the cornerstones of what you need to win. You've got a number one centerman, you've got a number one defenseman, and you got a number one goaltender. Yep. And then from there, you just build around it. I think it just comes down to timing because coaches, I mean, ask anybody who's coached in the NHL, they'll tell you there's a shelf life. You've probably got five years, maybe, and then they're moving on if they don't get the best out of it. So if you're, let's just use Joel Quinville, for example, if you're him and you just get reinstated in the NHL, you're going to have a shelf life of probably three to five years here in St. Louis. Do you think you can win a cup in three to five years with this team, or would you rather go somewhere else and try and win a cup in three to five years? Guys, I feel, though, and I feel like you said this a couple of podcasts ago, Alex, that it feels like, and I'm not, this may be a weird thing to say, but I feel like if Drew Bannister does get the gig, then we kind of know that when the Blues are ready to take the next step in two years or whatever— that we're going to be looking for somebody else. Yeah, yeah. depending on how he does, how the team yeah. responds. Because you, know, you could have a John Cooper or Jared Bednar in your hands to where he develops and you he's through the bad times and then he's through the great times. Because I like that. that. That's what Bednar, Bednar was at the beginning of for Colorado. Sure, that's a good point, yeah. They had to develop McKinnon to get him to the superstar level that he was and bring in all this talent. And then it was just four years ago that Jared Bednar really started this dominant run when all of these players started to develop. John Cooper took over when the Tampa Bay Lightning had missed the playoffs. What was it, three consecutive years? And I believe he got to the playoffs the first year, which was impressive, and then they started to win their their games. But now John Cooper's going to go through a little bit of a downturn with a roster. So you could have a John Cooper, Jared Bednar on your hands where he's here for the next 10 years that you run with. Yeah, and let's use the example that we always use is, you know, Craig Bruby. Like, who would have thought, right? Absolutely. But then you win the cup, Yeah, you, you get the... And, and I always think it's good. Drew Bannister is in the different category because this is his first real big gig at the NHL level. I always think guys that get that second taste of being a head coach elsewhere have a new lease on life and they have their success. Like, you know, we talked about Sheldon Keefe and Mike Sullivan. Wherever they go... Just like Craig Berube, where you, you tasted the NHL in Philadelphia, it didn't go well, you went to the American Hockey League and you had success, and then you got that taste again in the NHL. Like, you get a lease on life. I feel like that's where the success seems to come from Bruce Cassidy with the Vegas Golden Knights right after Boston. So that's another thing to consider. But again, I, I think 
at the end of the season, I look at it and I say, does this guy benefit the team's long-term future more than this guy? Mm -hmm. And that's where, to JR's point, Drew Bannister, if you put this team in a playoff spot, you've got the ultimate upper hand, just like Craig Berube did, no matter what. Now, maybe somebody becomes available and you say, this guy's better, we believe, for the long-term future of these core members of our roster, but... Again, if you're Drew Bannister and Thomas is a 90-point player, Colton Pareko is playing top minutes in the NHL, Kairou and Booch get to 30 goals, what else did you really want? All right, I want to wrap this up here real quick, but I want to ask something uh, very quickly about the Edmonton Oilers. So they are obviously on just a run of a run of a run. (laughs) And I will absolutely – Edmonton, like Toronto, I think I'm always going to have an affinity for just because I remember the, the days growing up when I started loving hockey. The Oilers were a machine. Um, what has happened to that team that was so freaking terrible defensively <laughs> early in the year that they have got it friggin' locked in? And I had thought that I had heard, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that Paul Coffey started working with their defensemen? Yes, and he had probably the best quote I've ever heard from a defensive like coach. I got to find it because I don't want to misspeak. But, but he literally has... He's been working with he's he's doing with them what Larry Robinson was doing with the Blues, if I'm not mistaken. Because he did not start as this year as a coach, correct? He came in as they were struggling. Yeah, Isn't I was that not true? Aware of him being yeah. on the staff. Uh, yeah, or even... I believe he's been like kind of a defenseman consultant with the team. But like now he's on the bench though, but right? Now, uh, or maybe that I don't know. Okay. He might be on the bench. I haven't watched a lot of Edmonton Oilers games. Shoot, I'm going to kick myself for not. Well, I, I came out of nowhere with no, this no, no, question no, no, anyway. So I know while he's looking that up, though, yeah, I was ahead. on a call with uh, the Athletics NHL writers this week, and, and the Edmonton writer was just talking about how the defensive structure is just night and day different. And obviously it has to be you win 16 in a row. That's obvious. But I remember watching Edmonton games early on in the season. It didn't even look like a form of defense. So whatever you know, Chris Knobloch and or Coffey's doing here in terms of getting these guys up, because it's the same group. It's not like they Right. They it's not like in. they made any moves yeah. or anything and, like that. And, and I guess you have to say that the goaltenders played a ton better too you know Skinner but uh, I, I think from a defensive standpoint so this is what he told the athletic good. sorry uh, so so he must be behind the bench because there's 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 pictures of him standing behind the bench so he must be on the bench yeah. with him kind of like Lee Robertson was I told our D from day one the only thing I expect is plays if you can't make them we'll get somebody else it's plain and simple I'm not here to make friends I'm here to make them better if you can't make the plays just put your hand up and tell me we'll get somebody else who can that's nice right there you go. That's Whoa. that's there freaking Hall of Famer Paul Coffey that came in and said, if you suck, tell me now because you're not playing for this team. If I read that, I hear that, I'm like, oh, uh, wait a minute. We can't say it. C-R-A-P. <laughs> Come on, man. Honestly, he says that, I raise my hand. Paul, I'm not sure if I can make plays, but you scare me right now. But, you, but it's amazing to me how sometimes players will react to that as a challenge and how other times they'll look at that and be like, screw you, dude. I'm not playing for you. Yeah. Hey, hey, wait, though. You know, with uh, Alex, what we've seen – with locker rooms the last five uh-huh. or ten years and how they've changed, I guarantee you one of those guys like, who is this guy? <laughs> right? Who is this, this guy? guy that told you he's not going to make friends with us? Who, who are you? Did he play? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You walk in and be like, who's this guy Anybody? talking to us right now? <laughs> All right, so I've uh, got to wrap this up here because i got to go be on the radio. Um, but uh, tomorrow night, last game before the All-Star break, it is Rizzuto Show Night. I do believe there are, are still some tickets left, so go to 1057thepoint.com to check those out. I'm always... I'm working promotions for these guys. They don't even. <laughs> yeah. They don't even know. I'm you like always the, doing this. You could take the guy out of promotions, but you can't take the promotions out of the guy. You should get a little piece of the action somewhere. Yeah. All right, Donnie, as you wrap it up here, yeah. send it off like you're doing post game, like yeah. you did earlier. I want to hear send you. Send us oh, a break. Um, uh, set, uh, wait, but am I? Am I? Okay, wait, but am I? Uh, I don't. You're confusing me, man. I'm already ending the podcast. How am I going to break at the that's, same time? That's what I need you to do, Donnie. See, so that's what he needs. So Tommy, if you heard that, yeah. To, I'll yeah, take I'm not great at this, man. Your kids are okay. They're yeah. going to eat for a while. One more yeah. year of diapers, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it is the Last Minute Blues podcast for my dudes, Alex Ferrario and Jeremy Rutherford. And on the road, Jamie Rivers. And uh, we miss you, Jeff Burton. Thanks very much for listening to the Last Minute Blues podcast. As always, let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.